Good morning. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, as we stop this morning to think about singleness and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask, please, that as always, you would put before us the glory that belongs to your Son, the glory that you've invited us to share in and to participate in. And this morning, Father, please uh, comfort the bruised, challenge those who are pr- proud and teach us all to be those who love one another well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've lost count how many weddings I've been to. 30, 40, 50, I don't know how many it's been. I've preached at a handful of them. But there's one thing I've never seen happen at a wedding. I mean, they all, they all follow the same kind of pattern, right? Certainly church weddings do. There's vows, there's a sermon, there's singing... Uh, There's photos, right? Just pick the bits and put them in whatever order you want. But I've never seen, after the preacher has gotten up, right? preacher comes up and expounds marriage and lays out the responsibilities, the commitment required in this new relationship. I've never seen the bride and the groom, after the preacher has spoken, stand up and say, actually, when you put it that way, I, I don't know that I want to get married. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. The Pharisees came, these religious leaders came to him and they asked him a question, trying to trap him. They asked him a question about divorce. Jesus answers about marriage. He he shows them, this is what is required. Here is marriage. And his disciples said to him in Matthew 19 and verse 10, well, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it was better not to marry. Singleness is what we're talking about this morning. And I want to start briefly by convincing you that this is a sermon you need to listen to. Whatever your circumstances. Now, in some ways, this little prelude I'm about to do now applies to all of the rest of the weeks to come. Because for all of them, you might look at the topic and think, well, ah, that doesn't, does that really, really for me? I don't, know that I, I don't know that I need to come and listen to that one, do I? I want to convince you that all of them are for you. Here you go, really quickly, four points why you should listen. Number one, the Bible teaches on this topic, as it does on all the topics we're going to cover. That in itself ought to be reason enough, right? God wants you to know about this. In fact, He teaches on it in bits of the Bible that are meant to be read out to the whole church. 1 Corinthians is a letter to the church. It's not that there's bits for married people and the married people need to take those bits and there's bits for single people and the single people need to take those bits. And No, the letter is for us all. Secondly, this particular topic, singleness, affects many in our church. I did the numbers briefly during the week. It's really bad. If you're a statistician, don't come and get me later. But I just went off the roll, how many people are married and how many people are not. There are 49.6% of our congregations that are single. One person was the difference. If there was one more single person on our role, it would have been a 50-50 split. So if we want to care for each other well, then you need to know whether you are single or not, how to care for single people. It's just part of church life. Reason number three, most of us, even those who are married, most of us will be single at some point in the future. It's very unusual for a husband and a wife to both die at the same time. And usually that only happens in tragedy. I mean, that, that's not a, you know, 
which means that for married people, even without taking into account divorce and other forms of breakdown, most of us will be single again. And so for those who are married, you need to be prepared. You need to be thinking now about how you will be godly in those years. It may well be years or even decades of single life after the death of your spouse. And fourthly, and I think actually this is really important for today, if you want to understand the gospel then you need to understand both marriage and singleness. Both of them teach us something very important about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope to show you that this morning. All right, okay, you ready? I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here, you wanted to listen anyway. Here's what I want to do today. We're going to divide our time into two little slots. The first one is to trace singleness through the Bible. What happens in the story of the Bible and the view that God has of singleness And then we're going to talk about some of these teachings by debunking four myths about singleness. Right, so let's talk about singleness in the story of the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament almost views singleness as something bad. Now it makes sense, if you remember the first couple of weeks in our series as we talked about creation and as we talked about marriage, you might remember the pattern At the very beginning, God created a marriage, a man and a woman, and he gave them a specific command, fill the earth, subdue it. Marriage was assumed, it was necessary, right? One bloke on his own isn't going to do the work needed. One woman on her own wouldn't have either, they needed each other. Marriage, this lifelong sexual union between a man and a woman, exclusive to produce children to fill the earth. God's plan for humanity required marriage and God's plan for his own people required marriage. As the story unfolds through the Old Testament, singleness almost seems to be a contradiction of God's plan. I mean, to be a single person by necessity was to not have children. Therefore, you couldn't fill the world and subdue it. But also God's people. God's plan was to create a nation for himself. And if they weren't having kids, there wasn't going to be much of a nation, was there? We were trying to think on, uh, on Monday and staff meeting, trying to think of examples of single people in the Old Testament. It was surprisingly difficult. I mean, not just people who are mentioned as being single. There are a number of people who we're not told, are they married or not, you kind of don't know. There are some people that we're told weren't married at a particular point in time. But to think of individuals whose singleness is kind of their defining feature. Samson was the only one we could come up with. Not exactly a role model of of godly singleness. We do meet, though, some categories of people. We discover the widow. The widow in the Old Testament is is almost a, a person who requires mercy. They have been left alone. They have no provision financially and perhaps even spiritually. They need mercy specifically because they're not married. We meet the eunuchs, these individuals who couldn't get married. That's rather explicit, the description of a eunuch. In fact, eunuchs, if, if you'll pardon the pun, I really feel bad doing it, but eunuchs were cut off from God's people. You can go and read Deuteronomy 23. They weren't allowed in the assembly. 
But they weren't allowed to be present when God's people gathered. They weren't allowed to be priests. You can read in Leviticus 21. You see, singleness in the Old Testament for God's people was a spiritual problem as much as it was anything else. You think about how God's blessing came to people in the Old Testament. It came through your family line. And what did it mean for you to continue to have spiritual blessing? It meant that you passed it on, your inheritance. If you were, had no, in, no offspring, you were cut off from God's people. Your portion of the land that was your inheritance was lost. It was such a big deal. You, you see it in things like the lever at marriage, right? A widow who had, whose husband had died without having children, her, the husband's brothers were supposed to marry her, just one of them, not all of them, supposed to marry her to produce children. And the first male child legally carried the name of the deceased husband. So to be single in the Old Testament was by necessity to be childless and therefore to forfeit your place in God's kingdom. And yet as we come to the New Testament, there's a very rapid and very marked, very radical shift. Singleness in the New Testament has a very different character, and I'll tell you why in a minute. As soon as you hit the New Testament, you meet some individuals who immediately paint the opposite of a negative, they paint a positive picture of singleness. I mean, John the Baptist... Um, in our tradition, he was single. The Mandaeans believed he got married. They kind of worship him. So they believe he got married and had kids. But, I mean, let's be honest here. He's a bloke who lived in the desert, wore camel's clothes and ate crickets. He ain't pulling no girls, right? So, he... But, okay, forget about John the Baptist for a moment, right? Jesus. I mean, here is the man, the perfect man, complete, fulfilled, godly, and single, despite what the novels would have you believe. The Apostle Paul, he comes along and not only says, hey, I'm single and it's great, I wish you were too, it'd be great for you too. What happened? What changed to go from the Old Testament, where there was this curse of the barren woman, the, the curse of childlessness, that singleness was attached to? Well, what happened is captured for us in just one of the many parts, in Isaiah 56, verse 3. It's not Isaiah 53, verse 6, which is the one we all know. It's 56, verse 3. Listen to this promise that God made through Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah 56 and verse 3. No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I am a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. And the same goes on for the foreigner. It's a fascinating little verse. Off the back of the work of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 and on, God is promising these individuals who otherwise had no inheritance in the land to say to them, you're going to get something even better. No longer through your family line, but directly from God himself, 
and on into eternity. Isaiah saw in the future a time when God's blessing would come to an individual through Jesus and last. Family, in that sense, was no longer the prerequisite and the outworking of the space in which God's blessing would occur. It has got its benefits, don't get me wrong. But now there's a promise, such that by the time we get to Matthew 22, we're not going to read it today, you can read it another time if you want, as again another group of religious leaders come to Jesus, the Sadducees this time, again they try and catch him out, they ask him a question about marriage, this liberate marriage, right, this woman gets married, who's... and Jesus says, well you guys don't know your Bibles, because when we get to heaven, we're all going to be single, there's no marriage in heaven. Isn't that amazing? We, we go from the Old Testament where singleness is this problem to the new creation where there is no... Well, there's one marriage. We are all married to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're not married to each other. In fact, that is the ultimate reality. Again, you might remember week two as we talked about marriage. Marriage is a pointer. Marriage is the scale model. It's Zoolander's school for people who can't read good and need to learn to do other things good too, right? It's, 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 it's three times because it's not the real thing. That's the thing that shows you the shape and helps you understand it. But the reality is there. It's big, it's glorious, it's wonderful, and it's for all of us. Married or single. Marriage now is not the ultimate reality. It is, it is not the thing to fulfill it's not the thing to bring you satisfaction. All it is is a pointer. It's the scale model. And in eternity, singleness will be universal. The things that marriage can at its best bring now, Jesus will bring then and begins to bring now. You see, in some ways, singleness has its own power. Because singleness now anticipates what will happen then. Fair enough to say, oh, I, I have these felt needs. I have sexual desires and longings. I have romantic feelings. I have a deep-seated yearning for, for, for a, a powerful connection with another individual. And the singleness helps us to see that that reality will only ultimately be fulfilled in our union with Jesus. What comes then is so good that I can live by it now. There's a, a man named Sam Albury who's, who's uh, done a lot of thinking and a lot of what I'm saying today is, comes from his work. Um, he's got a great book. His book is Seven Myths About Singleness. I'm only giving you four. So you want to read the other three, you're going to have to go buy his book. Uh, let's, let's send him some dollars. He has this great line. He says... If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, okay, marriage shows us the shape, it, it helps us understand the asymmetry. The husband, Jesus, who sacrifices for the wife. The wife who lovingly follows that leadership into holiness. If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. That Jesus is enough. Jesus is what I need. Now, by the way, married people, this has a very powerful implication. Please never look in your spouse for the things that Jesus ought to give you. Don't look to your spouse as your saviour. 
as the one who's going to complete you, as the one who's going to provide for all of your needs. As, if, if, if you go looking for that in your spouse, you're in trouble. That is the Lord Jesus' work. Your circumstances, and here's really the big teaching of today, whatever they are, ought always to drive you to Jesus. Are you, ma- are you married? Well, have your marriage point you to the Lord Jesus. Are you single? Have your singleness drive you to Jesus. Okay, there's the teaching across the scope of the Bible, from the creation all the way through to the new creation. Now, I want to pull together this teaching with, uh, with a bit of application as we talk about four myths about Christianity. Four of these things that, whether we say them or not, we, we kind of believe them, and certainly our culture believes them. Here's the first one. <clears throat> and uh, if you have got a handout, I left some blank spaces for you to fill in. There you go. encourage you to take some notes. Here's the first one. Singleness is bad for you. In fact, it's impossible. You, you, you can't do it. You can't do it in a healthy way. You can't do it in a way that is true to being human. Our, our world has such a sex-saturated mindset of what it is to be a human being that the concept of being single, and let's just be very clear here, when I'm talking singleness Christianly, I'm talking about abstinent singleness, right? Chaste singleness, not the world's view of singleness. Singleness in the world is I get to play the field, right? I can go and be with that one tonight and that one tomorrow night and that one the other. That's what they mean by us. We mean somebody who is not involved in a sexual romantic relationship. But for the world, it makes no sense. To to not be sexually active is to be diminished, is to be a shriveled human being. It's like not eating or not sleeping. It's bad for you, right? It's unhealthy. Stop it. It's impossible to live happily if you're a single person, says the myth. Now, of course, we know that that's not true. Because just look at the Lord Jesus, the perfect human being who lived without sin, who flourished as no other human ever has or ever will, and he was single. Now, okay, you say, well, that's not very fair, David, to compare me to Jesus. I mean, come on, he's Jesus, right? Like, what am I supposed to do? There's some bar you're setting there, right? Happy single people are people who are like Jesus. Well, that doesn't really work. But Paul comes along. It doesn't have to be Jesus. Paul comes along, not only single, but commends singleness. Come to 1 Corinthians 7. We're we're spending most of the rest of our time there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Have a look at verse 8. I mean, very, very simple. I say to the unmarried, to the widows, it's good for them if they remain as I am. I mean, there you go. Doesn't have to be complicated, doesn't it? You're single? Great. You're going to stay single? Great. It's good for you. And not that he says marriage is bad, all right? Just jump down to verse 28 for a moment, all right? However, if you do get married, you haven't sinned. If a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. It's not, it's not wrong to marry. It's not wrong to not marry. In some ways, Paul says, singleness is beneficial. It has advantages over getting married, particularly in light of the age that we live in. In some ways, you can be single with benefits <laughs> instead of friends with benefits. <clears throat> hey, let me point out two in particular. Firstly, he says, if you stay single, you're going to be spared trouble. Again, in verse 28, if you do get married, you haven't sinned. If a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life. 
and I'm trying to spare you. He's not talking about your in-laws, by the way. He's talking about marriage itself. Marriage is hard. It really is. You take two sinners and you don't let them separate from each other. You take two sinners and you say to them, go and spend tons of time together. You take two sinners and you say, oh, by the way, we're going to introduce more sinners into that mix as well as you have children. Good luck! It's so hard. At its worst, when marriage is at its worst, I think it is horrendous. I mean, we're, we're going we're to talk about some of the, the worst in a couple of weeks when we get to the brokenness of our world, when we get to talking about abuse and its outworkings. But even at its best, marriage is a constant struggle of sinful people being sinners toward each other. How many times, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that there'd be weeks where we haven't had to have, right, we've got to have another conversation, we've got to work something through, we're going to, there's a problem, I feel let down, you feel hurt, I feel, you stay single, you don't have that trouble. But also, it's not just the negative, it's also the positive, singleness creates opportunities. Come down to verse 32. He says, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. His interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm, I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper, that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Right? Married life is complicated. Everything takes longer. Your concerns are divided. I want to go and do this thing. It's a good thing. It serves God's people. It helps me to grow in godliness. But I've got six other people depending on me and I can't do that until I've taken care of them. One little illustration. How long does it take a single person to leave the house. Let me show you. It goes like this. I think I'll leave the house now. <laughs> right? It's just, just... Oh, sorry, no, I've got to go back and check. I, I, I forgot my wallet, right? Like that's... How long does it take me to leave the house? All right, kids, get your shoes on, get your water bottle. Have you put a snack packet in the bag yet? You haven't, right? Why are you fighting? That baby is now crying. I'll go get it. That means I'm not ready yet. Put, I told you to put you in 15 minutes. That's a good day. Half an hour, that's normal. An hour and a half run up for the school run. Like, that's every day. It's just complicated. You have opportunities. You have time. I like nothing better than starting the day with a little sleeping. It's really good work time, strangely. I, I can, in, in half an hour of just lying in bed, I can write my sermon. It's just, it, it, there's something about that warm, cosy, relaxed state. There's nothing in your brain. Do you know how often I get to do that? <laughs> I mean, before my alarm has gone off, for the last hour or so, doors have been banging, kids have been going to the toilet. 
Someone's fighting over which Lego bit they've got or don't bit. The babies have started crying and my wife is snoring. No, there's no chance. Life's complicated. Singleness brings with it a flexibility, the ability to commit to things that married people just can't, to take up opportunities that are precluded. Singleness is not impossible, as the myth says. It's hard, yes, and we'll get to that in a moment. But by God's grace, it can be very, very powerful for the gospel if we use it to be devoted to the Lord without distraction. And that's important, isn't it? Because what Paul wants for all of us is that we be devoted to the Lord. And the reason he commends singleness is its ability to allow you to be devoted without distraction. Oh, how easy to introduce other distractions. Now look, before we come to our second aside... uh, No, all right, we're going to our second aside. Sorry, no time. Come back at 10 o'clock to hear the asides. Singleness, here's the second myth, singleness requires a special calling... Oh, you heard that one before? You've got the gift of singleness. It's a, it's a special thing that some people get. And the assumption is that singleness is so bad, singleness is so hard, in fact, that singleness is bad for you, such that the only way that you could possibly get through it is by God to give you an extra special gift. You have the extra special gift of being able to be single and not implode. Well, that's not true again. Right? God isn't a meanie who puts you into, into, the, into the situation of being single and then may or may not choose to give you the gift of singleness such that you may or may not be able to... That's not God. No, have a look at 1 Corinthians 7, back in verse 7. Right? I wish that all people were as I am. I wish that all were single, he says, but each has his own gift. One person this, one person that. In other words, your state is the gift. Are you single? That's a gift from God. I mean, we've just seen the benefits of it. How wonderful of God to put you in a situation where you can be devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you married? That's a gift from God. How wonderful that God has put you in a situation where you can model the gospel. Myth number three, that singleness means no family. That you are alone and lonely now, and that you're going to die alone and lonely. That the things that other people have in children, in intimacy, in joy, in friendship, in fellowship, you you don't get them. You don't get to have family. No one to care for, no one to be cared by. Again, that's not true. Come to Mark chapter 10. Sorry, keep a finger in 1 Corinthians 7. I I think we're coming back. No, maybe we're not. Let's just go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 28. All right, in the middle of of teaching, talking to the rich young ruler, Peter began to tell him, Mark 10, 28, look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house, brothers, sisters, mothers, father, children or fields for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, with persecution and eternal life in the age to come. I mean, what a promise. You will never have less family 
because of Jesus. If you're someone who's had to sacrifice in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, what a wonderful promise. And I love that it's very clearly made as a promise for now. There aren't a lot of promises like that, by the way. Most of them are promises into eternity. They kind of bleed back into now. This one, no, right here, right now. Can I put it this way to all of us? If the single people among us feel like they have no family, we have failed. I mean, we, we call it church family, right? It's more than just a title, not just the word that we use, because it's better than saying a church club. Or a, no, no. Do we mean the word family? I've, uh, I've I had a friend of mine who once said, I, I got so, so close to marrying someone who wasn't a Christian. Just, I was so lonely. I was on a skiing holiday, the instructor was really lovely. I spent a week just basically hanging out with him. I thought, maybe I'll marry him. But no, she thought, Lord Jesus is worth it for me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick true to him. Right? Those who want to be parents so badly that they would go and pursue IVF, get a donor on their own. My, my wife met one of those this week. A woman who decided, you know, I just want to have a family so bad. I'm going to go and find a sperm donor and have two children she now has. If we get to that point, I feel like we have failed to provide family for one another. I've had the joy this week of chatting with some of the single people in our church. I've intentionally just gone and asked, right, what's your experience been? What, what would you like to hear? What should be said from the front? And the ones that I've spoken to amazingly have said, I, one of the highlights for me has been the sense of family, to be included into the mess of other people's lives, to see the chaos of their kids, to sit with them in the joys and the lows, to, to be included into family, to feel like I have family. And it's interesting to reflect on, right, because culturally, many of us value our, our family, nuclear and extended families, very highly, right? Nephew, we were at a niece and nephew's birthday party yesterday. It's like, of course you're going to go, right? Three, they're turning three, of course you're going to be there. Of course, like the family's gathering, right? We, we value it so highly. Do we feel the same about the people in this room? Are you, are you committed to this group of people? They're your family. They need help, you'll be there. They need loving, you, they need a hug, you'll give it. Might be pushing it a bit far. But you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Even children. Paul will speak of those who become Christians through his ministry. Titus, my true child, my legitimate begotten son. I saw you come into the family through the Lord Jesus Christ. Myth number four singleness is easy. <laughs> I mean, look, the picture today may well be one of us bed of roses, right? You get all these opportunities, none of the concerns, a loving family, everything provided for you. Man, singleness must be just great. That's not true, is it? Every day, every little moment, all those little things, moments of connection that are just not there. It's a daily struggle, isn't it? 
You come home after a bad day of work and you wish there was someone you could unload on. (laughs) You come home after a really great day of work and you really wish there was someone to celebrate with. You have the moment where you look to the future and you think, what am I going to be when I'm old and who's going to be there for me? You cuddle a baby and you think, I'll never have one of my own. There's all sorts of moments and stages and places where singleness bites. It's lonely, where it's hard to see what other people have and think, gee, I wish I had that, but I won't. Singleness is not easy. Your own sinfulness will make it very hard. And the pattern that God made in creation is still true. There's a goodness to family life that we do yearn for, And yet what we must, must, must do is have that yearning point us to the Lord Jesus. I mean, I want to finish with that if I can. Whatever circumstances you are in, are you married, are you single? Wherever you are, use where God has put you to be devoted to the Lord. To find yourself in Jesus. Here's a little rule for you. Never compare the worst of your circumstances with the best of the other. The worst of singleness compared to the best of marriage, well, of course you're going to want marriage, right? But actually, the worst of marriage compared to the best of... Oh, to be free again! Don't do that. Look to Jesus to grow in godliness in your circumstances, to live out to the praise of God's glory. And can I beg you, please, as a partner of this church, to be so committed to one another that there's no one among us who feels like they don't have family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ for his work to purchase us to be your children, to join us to one another, and to whom we look as the one who will bring fulfilment and satisfaction. Strengthen now those who suffer in their singleness. Teach them to depend on you, and teach us all to be family to one another. And Father, please, would you, in all of us, build a desire and a an ability to look to Jesus, to not want out of our circumstances, but instead to depend on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.